Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This is Hawk Central. On Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Happy Wednesday, Hawkeye fans. Glad you are with us for another edition of the Hawk Central Radio Hour right here on 106.3 KXNO. Chad Lastico here of the Des Moines Register. I'm a longtime columnist who covers the Iowa Hawkeyes. And with you, as always, leading you to 7 o'clock tonight. What a weekend it was for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Not only did the Iowa football team go into Wisconsin as a 10-point underdog and win by 9, 15-6, the Iowa women's basketball team had pretty much a perfect crossover at Kinnick event where an NCAA women's attendance record 55,646 fans saw Caitlin Clark register an outdoor triple-double in an exhibition win against DePaul. Such an awesome sight and experience for everyone involved. And then on Tuesday, the Iowa women were ranked number three in both the preseason AP and coaches polls. So a lot of fun stuff going on in Iowa athletics. And that leads us into this week. The Hawkeyes are riding high as a program on the court and on the field. But certainly a lot more eyeballs are trying to analyze how in the heck this football team is 6-1 and one making waves with the worst statistical offense in FBS. And here comes a huge rivalry matchup against Minnesota, the battle for Floyd of Rosedale on Saturday as the Hawkeyes try to continue confounding the college football world. So with that lead up to kick off this football conversation, I'm happy to be joined by my Iowa City-based Hawk Central teammate, Tyler Tashman. Tyler, uh, how are you doing this afternoon? Hopefully you're feeling good. Yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling even better after that flawless intro. That was very well done from start to end. So, good work. <laughs> well, let's uh, we'll see if the Hawkeyes can put together 60 minutes from start to finish on Saturday. But uh, before we get to the Minnesota matchup, which obviously we will with our five big questions, Tyler, uh, I thought it'd be fun to kind of rank the biggest factors. Uh, why the Hawkeyes are six and one, and uh, we I figured let's you do one, I'll do one. What have been the biggest reasons that this team has found success despite all the stats and everything we've talked about for weeks and weeks? Uh, I'm going to let you go first. I'll start with Phil Parker and uh, because he is sort of the, the mastermind behind Iowa's defense. But, I mean, I think it's pretty plain and simple to say that a big reason Iowa is where it is is because of what its defense has been able to do. Uh, because of the offensive shortcomings. And it also just feels like the, the defense has kind of grown up right before our eyes the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been really good, and especially early in this season, they were good, but it didn't. It felt like there was a drop-off from last season, which isn't crazy given how good Iowa's defense was last season. But it feels like the last few weeks, especially with the D-line play, that it's really trending back in that elite, kind of form and direction so um, I'll say Phil Parker for me is the the number one reason why Iowa is where it is this season good argument there Uh, my number one I'm glad you left this for me uh, because you really did have the number one there but I was going to go Tory Taylor number one uh, and I know uh, it's kind of a funny joke that uh, the punter is such a difference but I feel like uh, I feel like he's taken it to another level this season. He's obviously averaging 48-plus uh, yards per punt, uh, only one touchback, incredibly. And basically that Wisconsin broadcast uh, start to finish from Torrey Taylor putting his first punt 
down at the, you know bounces at the one and bounce, and checks up like a like a nine iron, and then just some booming uh, shots uh, the other direction, sixty two yards pins. Uh, pins Wisconsin back. The, the funny thing was just kind of watching those guys catch the ball in person. I wish you guys could see like the punts go <laughs> fly. Like uh, I guess you do when you're at Kinnick Stadium, but when you're watching the Wisconsin game, for example, you just see like the Wisconsin punt returner sort of like looking up into the sky and just waiting and waiting and waiting, and all of a sudden it's like six yards behind him and bouncing, or he's having a hard time pulling it in. When you see these punts in person, they really are breathtaking. And I know that sounds weird about a punter, but he is completely, um, you know, taken like a three and out, and he turns it into an advantage for the team because you just didn't turn it over. So he, he puts, you know, if you, let's say you get the ball at the 20, you go three and out, like minus three yards, you're your own 17. Well, heck, you know, a 60 yard punt uh, gets you all the way back inside the the other team's 25 yard line it's practically like a touchback on a kickoff so uh he has flipped the field constantly and really uh i feel like he's become uh more fun to watch even this year than he, than he has been the last couple of years just because he's not hitting those touchbacks anymore uh and it's it's just a. Uh, it's just fun to see what he what he uncorks, and he's right. He said this after the game. It's not easy. Like he, it's not like just one two punt, and it's all it's always going to be perfect. Like you, there's so much that goes into it. There was one snap from Luke Elkin that was so bad the other day, and Luke's been a great long sniper, but it was bad. And Tory made a really nice jumping catch, you know, pulled it down quickly, kicked, and it was like you know another fifty some yard or whatever forty eight yard or something like that, like. Out of he just he's just been incredible, and he's also the team's holder. So, uh, uh, Tory Taylor, long-winded answer there. Uh, we'll give him the number two spot. Tyler, you're up. Uh, this is less quantifiable, but I think just the resilience and fight that Iowa has shown. They've been through a lot this season, and, and even back to kind of the the gambling situation that that left things kind of in limbo of who all was going to be available, but that mm-hmm. and then into the injuries they've dealt with this season, Cade McNamara, Luke Lachey, Eric Hall. Um, and, and really it felt like a, a turning point sort of of the season was that Penn State game uh, where they, they got clobbered pretty badly after a 3-0 start. It was clear that Penn State was was a level or two or three above where I was, and it, it felt like that was sort of, in the aftermath of that performance of you decide, you know, what, what type of team is Iowa going to be? Are they going to show fight? And circumstances got even more difficult when Cade McNamara gets hurt early in that Michigan state game. But Iowa has shown resilience and fight kind of those intangible characteristics that you want to see in a team. Uh, It would have been easy for them just to kind of curl up and, and call it a season, but they have not done that. And I think, uh, that's a big reason why you know they've been able to string together these wins. Great one there, Tyler. Uh, I'll say uh, I'll I'll be pretty objective here and say the schedule. I think the schedule has been friendly. We talked about this even before the season started. That I thought this schedule played out nicely for if Iowa were to win the Big Ten West, and uh, I believe we talked about you know the importance of this Wisconsin game this past weekend. Uh, to to log that win uh, in order to have a path to the Big Ten West, and I feel like it has uh, been pretty favorable for Iowa. You know, you you lose that Penn State game, 
and you get to come home for two games. And, and Iowa needed every bit of that crowd uh, and Cooper DeGene uh, to to pull away for that 26-16 to 16 win. That was such a huge moment, especially after you lose McNamara early in the game. So, um, you know, the, and then you get Purdue at home. Um, and then, you know, at Wisconsin then, you know, which was a tough opponent, but you also knocked the quarterback out. So um, the one thing I will say about the schedule is I think that Iowa State win is starting to look better and better. I think uh, two road wins at Wisconsin and at Iowa State, never easy. And both those teams, you know, have winning records. So, uh, you know, while I'm giving the schedule some credit here uh, for Iowa being 6-1, and one, uh, the Hawkeyes actually had to go take those wins as well. So um, kudos to them for uh, getting it done so far and obviously more work ahead. All right. You want to keep going? Want to get another one there, Tyler? Yeah, let's do it. I think the the two road wins that you mentioned, someone that played a, a massive part in both both of those was Sebastian Castro. Mm-hmm. And he has been – or he had the pick, since, pick six against Iowa State, had a pick against Wisconsin and just some absolutely bone-jarring hits. Um, in that game against the Badgers, but he he is a guy that um, you know it felt like earlier in the season maybe he was kind of more underappreciated, overlooked part of Iowa's defense, and I think that narrative has pretty quickly changed just because he has probably alongside Cooper to Gene and Jay Higgins, I would say, been Iowa's most impactful defensive player, not only with his ability to create takeaways, but just being around the ball, creating havoc, uh, tackle for losses. Uh, to me, those three guys on defense, Higgins, DeGene, and Castro, have just been absolutely phenomenal and have been a big part of you know what Iowa's defense has been able to do this season. Yeah, great one there. Um, no question about that. I went up to uh, – so it was funny. Cooper DeGene showed up for interviews yesterday, and like nobody was going to talk to him. And I was like – so I like walked up to him. I said, okay, I'll talk to the best player on the team. And then I was like, well, you know, like Sebastian actually is giving you a run for his, your money right now. And he's like, no, nah, I'd give it to Castro right now. So uh, I think I think that was a good call by you. I think Castro is probably playing the best of anybody on the team right now. And I would say DG number two. Uh, let's go a couple more each. I think this is a lot of fun. And I'm going to say the depth at running back. I mean, talk about, you know, guys kind of uh, you think one guy is the number one back. You think another one is and then another one is, you know, Caleb Johnson kind of had this low start to the season, and all of a sudden, uh, Jazz Patterson's a revelation up at Iowa State, and uh, you know, Lee Sean Williams isn't even a factor uh, at that point in the year. Then, uh, of course, Jazz and Caleb get hurt. Uh, you get some contributions from Kamari Moulton uh, to kind of, you know, share some of the uh, workload, uh, and then all of a sudden, Lee Sean Williams becomes. Really, kind of the you know, the story of the day outside of Sebastian Castro and Madison. I mean, that eighty-two yard run. I just tweeted it earlier today. Uh, that was the longest run of the Kirk Ferentz era, uh, which is uh, really significant and, and the longest run by the program uh, in twenty-six years. Yeah, twenty-six years since nineteen ninety-seven. So, um, a lot of credit to all three of those running backs and the f- true freshmen and. I feel like that that has them without that depth uh, at running back because of the injuries that have happened in in other spots on the offense. I mean, this uh, suddenly the the running backs are a strength of your team. This offensive line is is growing uh, and becoming you know a better unit, and so uh, you know these running backs suddenly become even more important because you don't have Eric Hall, you don't have Luke Lachey, you don't have Cade McNamara, and your receivers aren't producing. So. 
the running back depth, I think, is a huge factor in this six and one start. One more each. How about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we mentioned Tory Taylor. I think it's fair to throw, throw Drew Stevens in there as well, just because of how mm-hmm. much uh, Iowa's offense has struggled to put the ball in the end zone. But but to at least be able to get points on the board, if you can't put it in the end zone, that you need a good kicker. And, and Drew Stevens, twelve for fifteen on the season. Um, he missed two against Purdue, but but came back and went two for two against Wisconsin, uh, which ended up being really big. And that last one uh, made it a two possession game and kind of put a seal on the game. And also in the, the Michigan State game, he goes four for four. And as big as that Cooper DeGene return was, and it was really electric. Uh, Iowa isn't doesn't win that game without Drew Stevens going four for four uh, on field goal. So I think. Uh, Drew Stevens, along with Tory Taylor, is another guy that just um, deserves credit. And when you talk about the way that Iowa's offense or, or lack of offense has kind of made things difficult on everyone else, you need the defense to step up, but you also need the special teams to step up. And both of those have done the job, uh, you know, the last few weeks especially. All right, great one there. Good, A lot of special teams talk here, but uh, it makes sense, right, uh, given – uh, you know how Iowa has win has won some of these games in the margins. Uh, I'll finish up by saying uh, coaching slash leaning into the team's strengths, and I feel like that that was uh, perfectly done at Wisconsin. Uh, you you know what your weaknesses are. Um, uh, it's funny. My wife uh, works in higher education. We were just talking earlier this week, and and she was talking about a semi, uh, like a uh, teaching session that they had and and stuff like that about. You know, a lot of times people want to like talk about your weaknesses and work on your weaknesses, uh, you know, which which is fine. But the mark of a really productive team, a productive group is to really maximize your strengths. Like, what do you do well? And just keep doing that to the best of your ability. Like there are parts of my job I'm not as good at there. And but the but the parts that I I feel like I might be better at um I try to like lean into those and just you know make that as as good as it can be, and I feel like that's what we're seeing from the the Iowa offense. Uh, you know, like I said, running game. I feel like the offensive line has improved. Obviously, you're leaning on your defense and special teams, and you're just not going into the areas where you were obviously weak, which is uh, the passing game. Uh, like you know, the quarterback play. Uh, those those things are weaknesses. I'm sure we'll get to those. We did heavily in yesterday's Hawk Central show. But uh, kudos to the uh, Iowa football program, Kirk Ferentz, for kind of understanding the strengths of the team and uh, just uh, digging into those rather than you know hearing all the outside noise about how bad the offense is or passing game is and and uh, addressing that. One example I'll, I'll throw in there, and I know we got to get moving here, but this was in my mind. I wanted to mention it, but like it, after the Chicago Bears went twelve and four in two thousand eighteen, the one thing that their biggest problem was the kicker that going into that offseason so that offseason became all about this circus tryout stuff for uh, the place kicker and all the attention just became so focused on that even at practices where they had these like eight or nine kickers trying out for one spot and it just became it was like you're working on your one weakness and you're not leaning into the strengths of your team and the bears haven't been ever the, the same ever since anyway 
There's my Chicago Bears 30 seconds for today. Uh, you're listening to Hawk Central from the Des Moines Register and KXNO. This is Chad Lystico talking Hawkeye football with Tyler Tashman. Tyler, we had Kelvin Bell on the Zoom today. A really, really uh, enlightening conversation with Iowa's defensive line coach, but also a very newsy uh, portion of the week. Joe Evans uh, was a game-time decision, did play uh, against the Badgers, but only 27 snaps. Uh, a lot of guys had... Uh, to carry a heavy load over there in Madison, and now Iowa may be losing YA Black for uh, Saturday's game against Minnesota, further depleting the group uh, while they wait for Noah Shannon. So a lot to unpack there. Where do you want to start? Uh, I guess we can start just with the, the injury. Uh, so, I mean, so Kelvin Bell said that YA Black did not practice on Wednesday, but he said that does not mean he's out. So it, it seems like kind of his status is still in limbo. And, and Wyatt Black has been a big part of Iowa's defensive line this season, started all seven games, is a real physical presence inside. And um, and, and it, he feels like he is kind of growing into that role. He, ha- he was in on that safety against Wisconsin along with Sebastian Castro. So if he can't go, uh, you hope that Aaron Graves can step up, who's played a, a meaningful role this season, and uh, Jeremiah Pittman, another guy who has played a, a, a small, you know, a, a more limited role, hoping that he can kind of step up. Um, so yeah, it, against the, you know, it feels like the D line is sort of emblematic of Iowa as a whole, of basically just kind of needing to survive through this Minnesota game and then using the bye week to get healthy and kind of reset. Yeah, Y.A. Black has become the player that we we all kind of thought he could be or hoped he could be. Six five, three fifteen. He's finally healthy. He's been uh, he's been a workhorse out there, and his best game of his of his life was the other day against Minnesota. But then on that Jay Higgins fumble recovery, uh, he kind of uh, goes to the sideline with what looked like a shoulder separation or injury. His arm was kind of dangling. Don't know for sure exactly what it is, but his arm was in a sling after the game, but he's been averaging, Tyler, 59 snaps a game in Big Ten play. That's a lot for a defensive tackle um, for somebody who's really played limited snaps in his career. So that's how dominant he has been. And then uh, on the flip side, you mentioned Jeremiah Pittman. He's only played 34 snaps in Big Ten play total in four games. So uh, Calvin Bell has had already kind of reduced that D-tackle rotation to three for the most part between Logan Lee Y.A. Black and Aaron Graves. I mean, Aaron only had 20 snaps up in Madison. So really those top two guys have been carrying a heavy workload. And so now if you don't have Y.A. Black, I did ask Kelvin, and he said, you know, uh, probably just uh, between those three on Saturday uh, against the Gophers. So I would expect, Tyler, almost all Logan Lee and Aaron Graves as long as they can go. And I think that will factor into the game plan, again, if Y.A. cannot go. Um, but I think that'll factor into Iowa's game plan of, of preferably trying to hog the ball on offense as much as you can and keep that defense fresh uh, on Saturday. So, uh, but obviously Noah Shannon, you know, they're waiting for that phone call. Uh, and Kirk Ferentz said yesterday that you know if the NCAA calls, he'll be ready to jump into the lineup. Uh, what did we hear from Kelvin about Noah today? Yeah, I think it's you know interesting because of the injury to YA that it feels like a, a Noah Shannon return would be even more meaningful, not just because 
of you know mm-hmm. his talent and in his veteran presence, but also just because it would add more depth to that defensive line group that has been growing in meaningful ways over the last couple of weeks. But uh, you know, Kelvin Bell, I thought shed light on just what it's been like to see Noah Shannon go through what he has the last few months. And it's, I mean, it's been an absolute roller coaster because right before the season began, he was ruled, uh, you know, season long suspension effectively ending his college career. The appeal gets denied. Then he transitions to an, uh, assist a student assistant on the coaching staff. Then there's word with, you know, the NCAA might be changing how they're viewing penalties Noah Shannon cleared back to practice last week. He's back practicing now. There's hope that he will be reinstated and be able to play this season. So, I mean, it's just been a, a, a wild kind of ride of events. I'm, you know, I'm sure for him. Uh, but Kelvin Bell is saying that, you know, he said it gives me confidence that Noah Shannon, long after football is over, is going to be successful because life comes at you in waves. He said. Uh, this kid's definitely dealt with his share of adversity, but it hasn't hurt his attitude. It hasn't hurt his outlook on things. And moment, moments like these are going to make him stronger moving forward. And, and, and Kirk Ferentz has touched on this. Is I don't think the issue with the handling of his uh, suspension has been the fact that there was a suspension. It's been more so the severity of it, right? I think mm-hmm. if it was a five, six-game suspension, um there wouldn't be as much trouble, but the fact that this is his last season, he's a six-year senior, and then you just end, you just end it like that, I, I feel like that was sort of what has caused all the frustration. So hopefully for his sake, for Iowa's sake, the NCAA comes around and, you know, allows him to play this season. Um, but, you know, they, like you said, they're still waiting on, you know, what's going to happen. Yeah, the NCAA has said that they would have that final uh, approval hearing uh, at the end of October, toward the end of October. So I would expect that not to come this week, but probably sometime during Iowa's bye week, and then he would get that approval um, to play November 4th at uh, Wrigley Field against Northwestern. So that would be good. I know we got a lot of questions about uh, some of the guys behind the guys. Uh, Ontario Thompson, could he step in at D-tackle? We saw him block that kick. He was hurt for a little while. Now he's back. Uh, Kelvin Bell said he's not quite in the mix at D-tackle, so they're going to lean on those three guys we mentioned uh, if if Black cannot go. And then Brian Allen, uh, that question was asked about him and because he looks so good on Kids Day, and he's played a couple snaps this year, like 25-ish, something like that. Uh, here's what Kelvin said about Brian Allen. He said, a young player that's young and growing, anyone can take a snapshot and try to make a novel out of it. His future's bright, but he's got to keep progressing and focus on the finer details of how we play football. So, uh, very talented guy. But Kelvin Bell, man, I love listening to him talk. He really he brings the truth, uh, and it, he does not lower his standards for anybody, no matter how good they look on Kids Day. So, um, really, uh, really enjoyed that conversation with Kelvin. We got to run to five big questions. That's coming up next uh, as Tyler Tashman and I preview the Minnesota at Iowa matchup. You're listening to Hawk Central here on 106.3 KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host Chad Leistico, columnist for the Des Moines Register, joined by Hawkeyes beat writer Tyler Tashman. 
Tyler, time for our five big questions where we preview the game. It's Minnesota at Iowa, 2.33 kickoff Saturday on NBC. No Peacock this week. It's the big NBC. Two former Hawkeyes on the call, Paul Burmeister and Anthony Heron. It is a stripe-out game, so make sure you check your uh, seating maps, whether you're supposed to wear black or yellow slash gold on Saturday at Kinnick Stadium. The Hawkeyes are favored at last check by 3.5 points, so not by much. Over-under is 32.5. Tyler, let's get into five big questions. Uh, Number one, where is Minnesota most dangerous? Uh, A little background on the Gophers, 3-3 overall, 1-2 in Big Ten play. We saw them win that Thursday night game against Nebraska. It was kind of a defensive slugfest. Uh, But this is a team that's faced two teams currently in the top 10, so some of the statistics might be a little bit skewed. Uh, They faced North Carolina, lost big, faced Michigan this past weekend through a pick six on like the second play of the game, lost 52-10. to So uh, this this is not a team that has hung with, with good teams yet. Uh, so kind of similar to Iowa in that sense. And they lost to, to Northwestern with a huge lead. So what to make of Minnesota, and where are the Gophers most dangerous, Tyler? I think it's their running game. They're, they're going to enter the game uh, averaging a little over 180 yards per game on the ground. That's good for fifth in the Big Ten. Uh, so, and especially, you know, we've talked about YA Black status if if he isn't able to go, I think that question becomes even more pressing. So um, the D-line has made meaningful steps forward the last two weeks against Purdue where they broke out. And then it was really encouraging what they did against a physical uh, Wisconsin team. Uh, but I think, if, again, why Black, if his status is kind of up in the air and, um, and, and with Minnesota's physicality, and Kelvin Bell basically said that, we, pre- we have a pretty good idea of what Minnesota is going to mm-hmm. do. They also have a pretty good idea of where we're going to be, so it's going to kind of be uh, one guy versus the other, just who, who can get off that block the, the, the quickest. So uh, to me, it's Iowa's ability to kind of slow down Minnesota's running game. Yeah, and on that note, Tyler, uh, the Gophers have been missing their best running back, uh, running back Darius Taylor, the last two games uh, after the bye week here. Uh, I know they're hopeful to get him back, but P.J. Fleck not giving an update on that, basically saying, uh, yeah, the injury report will come out two hours before. So um, he's got 87 carries for 532 yards basically in three games this year. So he was the Big Ten freshman of the week in back-to-back-to-back weeks. So this is a guy – he's no Mo Ibrahim, but he is kind of their guy. And so if he comes back, that would definitely be a big lift for the Gophers. They do also have a few good receivers, Daniel Jackson, Corey Crooms, uh, but obviously Iowa has a couple good corners as well, plus is, uh, you know, a tremendous cash linebacker in Sebastian Castro. Uh, number two, Tyler, where is Minnesota most vulnerable? Obviously a flip side to our first question, but where can Iowa maybe take uh, the most advantage on Saturday? Minnesota has really struggled in the passing game, and, and this should be interesting because this game is going to be between uh, the two worst passing offenses in the Big Ten, Iowa is, uh, is in last, wow. and just above 116 yards per game. Minnesota's uh, just a little under 133 yards per game. So I think Iowa's secondary and, and the ability to get pressure that they can cause some problems for the passing game because uh, they have 
thrown Minnesota has thrown seven interceptions this season. So when it comes to Cooper, to Gene, Jamari Harris, uh, even someone like Xavier Wampa, who who has gotten in kind of on that turnover chain uh, this season, you know, I think he had that interception against uh, in the very first game of the season against Utah State. But to me, that passing, you know, the passing game is is something that Iowa's defense can. Uh, really take advantage of because Minnesota has not been good at all. And, and to be able to continue to uh, force those turnovers and, and put Iowa's offense in as favorable position as possible and even possibly get a pick six. Yeah, and watching Minnesota this year, I've not been super impressed with their quarterback, uh, Ethan Kaliak manis And uh, it feels like he, he does have a tendency to turn it over. He's got a little mobility. He's got a good arm. Uh, so he's going to have to really make good decisions. I think that's where Iowa may have an advantage, just with you know its ability to maybe create some more turnovers. That said, you know we'll get to the Deacon Hill part, but Iowa, you know it, it, he could if he makes a few mistakes too, then that kind of evens things out. I'm I'm just really curious, Tyler, to see how Iowa defends Minnesota. Uh, this is a, a team that rushed for 300 plus yards against the Hawkeyes last year. You could tell that. That uh, really was burning Kirk Ferentz the other day. Kelvin Bell, like you mentioned, brought it up today. So, uh, did the Hawkeyes commit maybe a, you know Quinn Schulte to the run game and, and try to you know live with whatever happens on the edge with Cooper DeGene, you know Xavier Wampa at safety and and Jamari Harris uh, at corner. So, how much do they leave those guys on islands uh, versus uh, you know trying to stop the run with seven? as opposed to eight. So very curious to see how uh, Seth Wallace, Phil Parker, and company defend the Gophers on Saturday. Uh, number three, Tyler, what is the best Iowa game plan to get an eight-point lead? And uh, we mentioned that eight points because uh, that has become a stat that the TV crews have really grasped onto this year, and it is a pretty impressive stat. Since 2015, since the start of the 2015 season, Iowa is 69-2 and two when it has an eight-point lead at any point during the game. Uh, the reason I also bring this up is because uh, in covering the you know 2019 game uh, at Kinnick Stadium when the Gophers came in 9-0 and and with a high-powered offense uh, against Iowa's uh, you know, offense that had been struggling just a bit, Iowa jumped out to a, a 13-0 lead in almost no time, and it was 20-3. to Pretty early in that game as well. The Hawkeyes held on to win 23-19. to So getting an early lead is so important for the Hawkeyes. Uh, what do you think? You know, How can they do that on Saturday? I think it's going to be on the ground just because, though, there's with the unknown of Deacon Hill and exactly what he can do, and, and we saw how much Iowa relied on the run and, and kind of trying to limit any of any mistakes or blunders against Wisconsin, and it worked. They came out with a win. Uh, Minnesota has the 10th best run defense in the Big Ten, uh, averaging uh, opponents to run for almost 138 yards per game. And and the way that Iowa's run game has been trending, uh, it feels like this is something they can exploit. Against Purdue, they go for 181 yards on the ground, and that was big days from LeSean Williams and Caleb Johnson. Uh, and then against Wisconsin, they go for 200 yards on the ground with just a, a really big career day for LeSean Williams. So uh, it sounds like Jazz Patterson will be back in, in a bigger capacity 
against Minnesota. He, he was back in a very limited basis against Wisconsin, which I thought was encouraging. But um, Iowa can really have a three-headed monster with those three guys, with Caleb Johnson, LeSean Williams, and Jazz Patterson. Uh, it's been a while since all three of them have been healthy at the same time, uh, but they all kind of feel like they add a little bit of a different ingredient to the backfield. And uh, because Minnesota has been able able to be exploited in that way, uh, plus the way that Iowa's offensive line has seemed to be gaining confidence the last two weeks, especially with those rushing performances. So, uh, and, and this might be the formula of the rest of the season, really. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I, I see that as a way that Iowa can can probably most efficiently and most realistically get some work done on offense. I definitely see them uh, running the ball as much as possible. No opponent against Minnesota has rushed, tried to rush more than 37 times against the Gophers. I expect the Hawkeyes to at least try 40. Um, And then I think winning the coin toss or getting the ball first uh, is really important to Iowa football. And I know a lot of people say, why doesn't Kirk defer? Why doesn't he defer? Iowa likes to win the toss and take the ball because it wants to flip field position at minimum like it, it wants to get a couple first downs usually that script is pretty good uh, early in the game for Iowa uh, and Brian Ferentz uh, we saw that against Wisconsin they got a little bit past midfield punted pinned them back and even though Wisconsin drove 81 yards because that drive started on its own four Hawkeyes uh, held them at the whatever 15 yard line so um, without points. So th- that is really important, and Iowa likes to play from ahead. So, you know, as long as – so if, if Minnesota wins the toss, uh, I would, you know, unless uh, – I would uh, I would take the ball if I was Minnesota because that goes against what Kirk Ferentz wants to do. I mean, unless he throws a monkey wrench into things, but like he did at Iowa State and defer. But uh, I think Iowa wants the ball, try to take that early lead. Uh, and then, you know, I, honestly, best case scenario is Minnesota wins the toss, defers, then Iowa takes the ball, then Iowa gets the choice of which side of the field to be on in the second half, and then can put uh, Minnesota back towards the north end zone in the fourth quarter, just like that Michigan State game. I think that's the perfect scenario for the Hawkeyes to, at some point, get that eight-point lead uh, that it necessitates to uh, boa constrictor these games away. Uh, number four, Tyler, uh, this is... Uh, an interesting one, and it, it's not necessarily game-related, but it is game-related because it has to do with Iowa's wide receivers and passing game. It is this. Will Eric All, out for the season, torn ACL, end up as the Hawkeyes' leading receiver this season? He's got 21 catches for 299 yards. As you pointed out on our post-game podcast, Luke Lachey is still the second leading receiver on the team, uh, and he may be back for a bowl game, so his numbers could go up a little bit. Uh, but the highest wide receiver um, total this year is 83 yards for for Nico Regaini. Seth Anderson has 79. So those two guys would have the best shot at surpassing Eric All, who, I, who will stay at 299 for the rest of the year. And so and that dovetails into this game as well of how much the receivers actually get used. I would be surprised if someone ends up overtaking Eric Hall. I just crazy, there, crazy. There, yeah, there just there just hasn't been enough uh, concrete evidence to believe that uh, you know Iowa's wide receivers can do that, and I don't fault them all for this. this is, I mean, it's a tough situation. You basically have to go to a, a 
close to a bare bone, you know, passing attack when uh, Cade McNamara goes out and you have a really inexperienced quarterback come in. But uh, it's also been when, when the opportunity is there, they haven't stepped up. Um, but now with Eric all out, like like I, I think we talked about yesterday, is it feels like even more and more we've said Iowa needs its wide receivers to step up, and now this is even a bigger opportunity when you have Eric all out, when you have Luke Lachey out. Someone is going to have to catch passes. It's just it just feels like the, the time keeps going on, and we're not seeing we're not seeing results. So it you know it might be holding out hope for you know, for a very slim chance of it happening at this point. But um, I don't think it's because they're incapable. I mean, Nico Raggini has proven he can do it. I think Seth Anderson is really good. He just hasn't really gotten the opportunity. So, um, yeah. If this is if, – if any game, this would be the one that Iowa could maybe get some traction, I think, through the air. So that's why I kind of brought this up, Tyler, is – uh, Minnesota's averaging and giving up 230-plus yards, pass yards a game. Uh, the weather is supposed to be nice on Saturday at Kinnick Stadium, like in the 50s, uh, maybe even 60. And I think they're going to be stacking the box, don't you? So I think this is the week that you could see, you know, uh, Big Deke's arm and maybe throwing downfield, maybe connecting on one of those deep shots. Uh, obviously, he did a, He did hit a couple against Purdue with Eric All, but now, yeah, who is that guy? I think I think you're right. I think Seth Anderson's probably your your biggest play threat at this point. Uh, just you know, the Deontay Vines deal had just has not turned out great. He has no catches either the last couple of weeks. Uh, obviously, Seth Anderson doesn't either, but he at least had a carry the other day. Uh, and then Nico had two for 13 the other day. So uh, I would like to see maybe Nico be more of that, that slot guy that uh, you know acts more like a tight end. So uh, I guess to answer the question, I'm going to go the other way. I'll just say yes. Someone's got to get to 300 yards for an entire season. That's only like 25 yards a game. That's all you got to average for the season. <laughs> and there's that, tw- there's that 25 number again, right, for uh, – uh, yeah, so yeah. How about the drive for 325 receiving yards for a wide receiver? Mm. How about that? Yeah. Okay. Can can not looking not looking good right now. <laughs> not looking good for Brian Ferentz or receiver. But I'm going to go over just so we can have something to kind of feud about in the press box. Uh, okay. You know, so. <laughs> All right. Number five. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, good weather is expected Saturday. So if you are Brian Ferentz, Tyler, what? Are your marching orders for Deacon Hill, who was six for fourteen the other day for thirty-seven yards, but most importantly, no turnovers. And you listened to Kirk Ferentz yesterday; you can clearly tell that Kirk uh, absolutely number one, higher than any priority in his whole and his whole team, is don't turn the ball over, Deacon. I, I think, like we've been talking about, seeing some of those deep shots are important, or at least taking some chances. Because uh, Deacon Hill has the arm to do so, but I think more so important than that is just the ability to get in a rhythm. We, I mean, we just haven't mm-hmm. seen Deacon Hill really get into a rhythm of completion here, completion here, completion here. Uh, it just it's it's felt, especially uh, you know, in that Purdue game, it it was really erratic. It, it just did not feel like there was much rhythm to it. Um, to see, and he wasn't really put in. A situation to be able to do that against Wisconsin because of all the running, uh, you know, 
relying so much on the mm-hmm. run game. But I think to, as more than throwing it deep, just to be able to see him throw a 10-yard ball here, 15 there, 12, 7, to see him kind of be able to string together throws, to be comfortable back there, to be accurate, to be efficient, um, to do it on a consistent basis. Because, I mean, that, that touchdown pass he had, uh, against Purdue to Eric Hall. That was a great throw. And that's mm-hmm. why I think w- there's been really small, it's been a small sample size, but there's been really small indications of what he can do. It's a matter of just kind of stringing them together now. So I think being able to do that this week without the guy he's been relying on uh, so far in Eric Hall, who's going to be that guy that he feels comfortable throwing to? Yeah. Is that Nico Ragini, Seth Anderson? Um, Stilianos, know, maybe. Stilianos, yeah. Is it, is it another tight end? So, but I think getting into that rhythm and, and at least kind of improving that efficiency and accuracy on a consistent basis. I think Brian Ferentz will unleash, <laughs> and I say that you know, tongue in cheek a little bit, more play action. I think they would have done that more against Wisconsin if they felt like they needed to, but obviously that goes back into our conversation about leaning into strengths. Uh, they didn't need to throw the ball the other day. And so uh, if you can run the ball, as Iowa has shown it can do, and they're going to stack the box with eight, nine guys, then you you got to hit that play action. And, and so I think they've probably been working on that quite a bit this week, maybe a little bootleg game uh, we haven't seen for a little while. Uh, I do think I, I think we'll see more pass attempts uh, on Saturday at Kinnick Stadium, especially with the weather and especially with uh, the expectation that the teams are going to try to take that away and make Deacon Hill beat you. So, all right, coming up next, it'll be our game predictions and Big Ten outlook. Uh, you're listening to Hawk Central, 106.3 KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. We are taking you up to KXNO's Fantasy Camp Show at 7 o'clock. Uh, happy to welcome back Tyler Tashman to finish up our show in these last seven, eight minutes. Tyler, uh, Big Ten West race. Uh, we talked about that uh, after the game a little bit, but uh, obviously Iowa has the lead. Two big games tomorrow happening simultaneously as the Hawkeyes, uh, not tomorrow, Saturday, as the Hawkeyes uh, face the Gophers. Also at 2.30, Northwestern at Nebraska. And Wisconsin, uh, without Tanner Mordecai, who is out with a broken hand, at Illinois. So a couple games that are pretty interesting in the Big Ten West race. Nebraska, sneakily, you know, if they start playing good football under Matt Rule, uh, they could sort of become a factor in this Big Ten West race, too. So Iowa's got to keep winning. Uh, what do you think about those two games? I'm really interested to see, or to see what happens in that Illinois-Wisconsin game because Illinois – they get blown out by Purdue. They lose to Nebraska. And then last week they go on the road to Maryland, who just gave Ohio State a really good fight and is one of the better teams in the Big Ten, and they win. on. And Illinois wins on the road. So um, Wisconsin now starting, I guess, the uh, officially of Braden Locke being the starting quarterback, um, seeing how they deal with that. And, and obviously their offense had a lot of issues. Uh, against Iowa's defense, but it was also Iowa's defense, so that's um, not too surprising. But to see how 
Um, you know, if, if Wisconsin loses another game, they could very quickly play themselves out of any chance of winning the West. So that's one definitely to keep an eye on. Right. We had kind of talked about going into that Iowa-Wisconsin game. Yeah, like, uh, you know, Wisconsin's still going to probably need to lose one or two more, you know, to give Iowa a little bit of breathing room. But uh, now you start to turn your attention a little bit toward Nebraska. And one element we didn't get a chance to talk about much, uh, maybe we will uh, later on, you know, some other show, but... You know, Iowa's going to be the hunted now. The rest of the season, they're going to get everyone's best shot. I mean, Minnesota's going to want to come in here and break that eight-game losing streak in the series. Uh, you can bet uh, Northwestern, same deal. Try to win, you know, save their season, you know, at Wrigley Field. Then you get Rutgers. I mean, Illinois again. I mean, all these teams are going to be taking all their shots at Iowa. So uh, Hawkeyes in a little bit of a position they they aren't necessarily the the greatest at historically. Uh, the biggest game on the Big Ten this weekend, obviously, is Penn State at Ohio State. The Buckeyes, four-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to kind of monitoring that game, Tyler, as we wait for Iowa's kickoff. Uh, do you have a feel on which game, which direction this game goes? I mean, I, I think Penn State can go in there and win. I, just, I feel like I haven't been super impressed with Ohio State this season. Uh, their, their quarterback play has been a little bit shaky. Maryland almost went in there and pulled out a win. Uh, I was also – I mean, I haven't watched Penn State consistently, um, but what they did against Iowa was – I mean, it was pretty pretty startling. So I think I think Penn State has a chance of going in there and winning. Yeah, I do too. I haven't made, I haven't made my pick yet, so you guys will have to read my uh... – predictions column thursday morning when it goes online so i really i don't know four and a half point favorite uh the buckeyes are at home uh, but obviously uh this is one little element actually worth watching if if somehow the they round robin each other or whatever like everyone finishes eight and one in the east um you know penn state you know beats michigan michigan beats ohio state ohio state beats penn state it might come down to um the champion may come down to which team has the best win in the crossovers and it could be Penn State over Iowa it could be so we'll have to see uh what you know how that if Iowa potentially has a factor in deciding the Big Ten East winner at some point that's down the road though uh let's get into our predictions Tyler we got about three minutes left uh Iowa Minnesota Oh man, uh, the over under at thirty two and a half. Uh, we both were we both picked Iowa to lose close games last week, so we both had them covering the spread. Iowa obviously won outright, uh, but uh, what do you expect this weekend at Kinnick Stadium? I'm taking Iowa sixteen to ten. I think it will be a, basically a recording of what we've seen the last few weeks of a low scoring. Really good defense, uh, offense still kind of struggling. I mean, I think maybe you hope that Deacon Hill can take some step forward, steps forward uh, with presumably what Minnesota will do to try to stop Iowa in the running game. Uh, but I think, you know, Iowa is going to, the formula that has worked the last few weeks, uh, I think it'll work again against Minnesota. They get by with a ugly um, win, but still a win nonetheless. So the the number obviously to average you know on the Brian Ferentz deal is twenty five, but I was just not really you know, they don't have much of a chance to get there anymore. It seems like their number this year to win is twenty, and so I think that's the number they need to get to most weeks to win. Obviously didn't need that much at Wisconsin, but uh, the defense played amazing that day. 
I think the defense scores a touchdown on Saturday. Have not scored a touchdown on defense since the Iowa State game. So defense needs to pick it up a little bit is what I'm saying, Tyler. They need to, I mean, count, they need they to pull their weight. They just had a safety last yeah, year. Yeah, not enough. Not enough. <laughs> they need a touchdown on defense. And I think they get one uh, with with Minnesota, you know, throwing a late pick, something like that. Uh, Drew Stevens, you mentioned him. I think he, he swats through three field goals, and uh, the Hawkeyes punch in one on the ground. Uh, no passing touchdowns again, but no problem. Hawkeyes are going to win this one and cover – 23 to 13. I just don't see Minnesota scoring much uh, that against this defense. Uh, obviously, I'm going to be concerned if, if YA doesn't play, but I don't know. I just, that offense is not good at, at Minnesota. They're like 111th in the country. And if you gave me the 111th offense in the country against Iowa's defense, I don't care how bad Iowa's offense is. I'm going to take the Hawkeyes. I'm going to take them to cover. And when you talk about uh, defensive touchdowns, I, Sebastian Castro could have yeah. possibly took that back for a pick six at the end of the game, but he wisely just kind of, you know, sat down and that was the game. But there very well could have been another pick six if he had really wanted. That's to. what I'm saying. They're they can have one. They, and he he had a funny quote after the game, and someone asked him about that. He's like, ah, "I already I already done enough." He said. So, <laughs> <laughs> That was a pretty dang good mic drop. Anyway, he was like, "Get the bus started." And yeah, let's go <laughs> <laughs> get some food. Uh, all right, Tyler, I'll see you on Saturday at Kinnick, buddy. All right, sounds good. All right, uh, and we will talk to you Saturday night at Kinnick Stadium when our YouTube post game pod goes live, probably in the eight thirty or nine o'clock range on Saturday. Watch our uh, Twitter feeds, etc. Uh, check that out at our Hawk Central YouTube page and uh, our game coverage. Uh, at hawkcentral.com. Coming up next, it's Fantasy Camp with Nathan Fisher and Tyler Allen. For Tyler Tashman, this is Chad Leistico saying we will catch you next Wednesday night from 6 to 7 p.m. here on Hawk Central, 106.3 KXNO. Good night, everyone.